Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit OutreachChurch.net for downloads and service information. How are you guys? You're learning the answer by now, right? Yeah, that's what Madison was saying is so key. It's so important that we understand that, that, you know, feelings can be great friends, but they make horrible masters. Horrible masters. And, and if you live by your feelings, then you're only doing good, as good as the people around you's ability to make you feel the way you want to feel, or life circumstances to make you feel the way that you want to feel. And man, what a roller coaster that would be. That's why you have to be anchored in truth. That's why it's like, it's so important to know the truth. The truth sets you free from the roller coaster of life because when, the, when life seems to take this, this horrific downturn and this big dip, the truth keeps you there. It's this baseline of truth that keeps you steady. It's like, it doesn't matter. When the night's holding on to me, God, when the night's holding on to me, God's holding on. Like, I'm not, I'm not panicking and freaking out. I'm not living by my feelings. Even though, like David, like, I'm in the cave, I'm being chased and being hunted. I talk about it all the time, but it's so true. It's like he stands there and all he can say is this. If I look around me, everything is horrible. And I would have despaired had I not believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. There's this belief that I'll see His goodness that keeps what I'm seeing with my eyes from being what rules me and what masters me and what determines what's going on in my heart. And so, um, just like, yeah, if you, know the, if you feel far from God, guess who moved? That's so false. If you're born again, if you feel far from God, thank Him that your feelings can lie, but His Word never can. And remember that He said, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. I'm serious, like, if the, the, all these cliches that we have that sound so good when they come out of our mouths, we've got to hold them up to the light of the gospel. Because some of that stuff will take root in your heart and you'll start basing what you think and what you believe on these little cliches that you've heard repeated over and over again since you were a kid. And all of a sudden now you're thinking, well, man, I do, I feel far from God. I must have moved. I must be way far from God because I'm feeling this way. Rather than going to truth and saying, he's never far from me. Because he lives inside of me. How could he be far from me when he actually lives in me and he promised he would never leave me nor forsake me? That nothing could separate me from his love. No height, no depth. No matter how good or how bad I'm feeling in the moment, I am not separated from him. And see, we have no problem believing we're not separated from him when we're at the height. I've never heard a Christian, someone who was born again, when they're in like a mountaintop season of their life feeling like God's far away. But man, get down in the depth a little bit. Walk through the valley of the shadow of death and you'll forget that he's with you and you'll start thinking that he brought you there to stay. I'll never lose sight of that. That David said, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He didn't say, yea, though I live or yea, though I camp out. Yea, though I buy a piece of land in the shadow of death. He said, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Why? Because he understands, I'm not staying here. And why is he not afraid? I will not fear. Why? Because you're with me. See, if we lose sight of that, we'll be in the valley of the shadow of death and we'll look around and all we'll see around us are walls and gloom and doom and death. And we've lost sight of the fact that he's always with us. And then all you have left is despair. And once you get into despair, hopelessness comes. And once hopelessness comes, then there's no end to the depths that you can plummet to. That's why we have to be looking for people that are hopeless. Why? Because life always looks for death. 
Life should always be looking for dead things. That's why God breathed into dirt something that was inanimate, that was dead. There was no life in dirt. He breathes into it and brings it to life just to show there is nothing that my breath can't revive. There's nothing that when I breathe on it can't come to life and look like more than what it was before I breathed on it. There's so many people in your life that are just waiting. There's so many things in your life. I'm telling you this. There are people all around you that are just waiting for the breath of God to come from your mouth. That's why Jesus breathed on his disciples when they became born again. What was he saying? That same breath that was breathed into man when you were raised from dirt in the garden, I'm now breathing onto man who was dead and bringing them back to life. And now you go in my name receiving that same breath that Adam gave up. And I, I believe that. I cannot prove it scripturally, but I really believe that when, when, when Adam died, when he exhaled that breath that was never... Do you realize that Adam was never supposed to have a last breath? When God breathed life into him, he was supposed to live forever. When he made choices and went against the Father and sin brought death into the world, physical death, there is a time when Adam breathed out for the last time that breath that God breathed into his lungs. And I believe that God was there to receive that breath and received it back into himself the same way he deposited it into Adam. Why? Because that breath was life, and it was the life of man. It was the life of humanity, and it's what brought dirt to life. And I believe, and again, we'll find out in heaven, and I don't think this would change anyone's theology, you know, so I, I feel okay sharing this, but I firmly believe that when Jesus was lying dead in the grave, that same breath that was breathed into the first Adam was breathed into the second Adam, and that the life of God that was supposed to bring life to man forever once again entered into the lungs of the second Adam and when Jesus breathed onto his I'm serious I believe this and that's why it said to them he breathed on them and said receive the Holy Spirit and they became born again capable of actually being empowered by the Holy Spirit and then he said now go to the upper room and pray and wait and don't leave until the Holy Spirit comes why because he was giving them that same breath that means what it says though they sleep they shall never die never die it's the ability to live forever once again inhabiting the lungs of man i i i firmly believe that's true we'll find out in heaven <laughs> well i'll be there i promise i won't keep anyone from going so i feel okay to share that but when he breathed that breath into you, when Jesus breathed on those disciples, what was he saying? He was saying, now you have the breath of life inside of you. Now go breathe on humanity. Because what did he say? As the Father sent me into the world, so I also send you. What did the Father do? The Father breathed into him and brought life into his dead body, raised him from the dead, and brought him out and showed the world what he was like through the life of his son. And then Jesus said what? Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. What are you saying? He's saying, listen, if you want to know what God's like, just watch my life. Peter says, show us the Father. He says, how long have I been with you? And you still say, show me the Father? Like, Peter, don't you get it? I'm not like the nice God. There's not angry God, nice God, weird God. Seriously, the Holy Spirit's not weird God. Jesus isn't nice God. And Father isn't angry God. In fact, it was the Father's idea to send Jesus to earth. The, Jesus and the Holy Spirit didn't come up with a plan and talk the Father into it. It's like the Father was in heaven, angry and ready to just smite everyone, and Jesus came to him and said, Oh, Father, don't do that. I'll go. 
That's not what happened. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. It was his idea because he so loved the world. Never get this idea that he sent his son so that he could love you. He sent his son because he loved you. You're not a worthless, complete, there's not anything about you that was less than what you were created for except for that you didn't know the truth of what Jesus had done on the cross. But he loved you before he sent his son to die for you. Even while we were yet in sin, he, this is how the love of God is made manifest to us, that while we were yet in sin, he sent his son to die on a cross. While we were yet, before you did the first thing right, he loved you. Before you accepted what Jesus did on the cross, he loved you. Why? It's all throughout the, it is the gospel. That's why the gospel is the, the, the too good to be true news, the need faith to believe it news, because it, it's not relying on what man did, it's relying on what the father did and what the father was, and he was love. So you start living by your emotions in the good times, be really careful because you'll be really tempted to live by your emotions in the bad times. And it's awesome when you're on the mountaintop and your emotions are lining up with truth and you're like, he's so good, he's so faithful. The problem is, is if your barometer for his goodness and his faithfulness is your circumstances, then when that barometer shifts and circumstances around you aren't good, then what? Is he no longer good? Is he no longer faithful? I'm serious. That's a trap, I'm telling you, because it's really easy to get us to live by emotions when things are going good. You know it is. And it's cool. When emotions line up with truth, they're awesome. I'm not saying don't have an emotional experience. Be, be excited. Be stoked. I get so excited about things. I do. Like, I, I love getting excited about things. And I just always believe things are going to be good. And even when they're not, I believe they're going to be good. Why? Because so many times in my life when things happened that in the moment seemed bad, ten years later I look back and realize there was so much goodness in it I couldn't even comprehend it at the time. So I just have this belief, like it's this thing that's settled inside of me and the sooner we settle that inside of us, the more stable and the more like Christ we'll be able to live because we're not succumbing to these things around us that are tempting us to have a different perspective on who God is or how he cares about me based on what things are going on in my life. You know, not looking around, finding people and saying, well, God must love them more than me because. Stop it. Stop. All right. That was free. Now you get what you paid for. Open your Bibles up to Proverbs 4. I'm just kidding. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. We're going to springboard off this into a few things. It says, watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that today we have a book that we can open up and we can see you. God, that the man who looks into the word looks into as if a man looking into the mirror. And God, I pray that we would look into your word and see ourselves. And we would walk away and not forget what we looked like, what we saw when we looked into that mirror, but that we would remember who we are because of whose we are. God, I thank you for that. I thank you right now just for aligning truth for aligning our hearts with truth, God. God, that any emotion, any feeling, any circumstance that would be contradictory to what your word states about who you are or how you care about us, that we would choose to believe what you say even over what we see. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, there, have, there, has to be, there have to be people out there that walk more by what God said than what they see. 
And here's why. Because when a prophet is surrounded by chariots and his servant comes to him terrified and says, they have us surrounded and they're going to kill us, the prophet didn't say, God, send angels to surround them. He said, God, open his eyes that he might see what's going on. Why? Because he lived in a truth that said, okay, so here's the thing. If God promised to be with me, if he promised to protect me, then if I am being encircled by the enemy, then the enemy must be encircled by him. He didn't pray for God to send angels with flaming swords. He prayed that the servant's eyes would be open to the truth of what was already going on. We've got to be those kind of people that when everybody's freaking out and when people don't see what's really happening, that we actually believe there's something greater going on that we can't see so that we can pray for their eyes to be open to truth rather than praying for something to be done. A lot of times our prayers reveal that we don't really believe what the Word says. I mean that for myself. I find myself praying things and I go, wait a minute. If I really believed what Jesus said, why would I ask Him to do that? I don't think God's in heaven like sorting them out, going, I'll answer this one. I want to, like he sees our heart. He knows my heart is just, I, I'm, 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 I'm grieved by the situation. I'm moved by the situation. I'm wanting to pray. But sometimes I think that those things can keep us from actually even coming to his courts with thanksgiving. Because if we don't actually know and believe his promises, how can we be thankful before we see the answer? But if Paul said in all your petitions, when you bring your prayers to him, do it with thankfulness, then there has to be a place of faith involved that says, God, even before I've asked this, I'm already thankful in my heart because I believe that you're good. And then you're praying in faith. The Bible talks a lot about the prayer of faith. A lot. We'll talk about this some other day probably. So Proverbs 4.23, watch over your heart with all diligence for from it flows the springs of life. Uh, in the NIV, which I really like the NIV's in, um, um, version of, of, of this verse, it says, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. That word heart there is, 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 the, uh, is the word labe. It's, why, it's a word that's used for the will or the intellect. It also can be uh, mostly used for the center or the core of something. And so Solomon's writing in all his wisdom, and he's, he's writing to his son, and he's writing all these things about what to go after and what to get. And he says, with all diligence, and when you, when you interpret that out, it means more than anything else. So he's saying, above everything else, son, guard your heart. Guard your core. Guard your center. Guard what is at the center of you, because everything you do will flow from that. Everything. And when he says guard your heart, a lot of times we think that means like be careful what you let in or all those kind of things. And, and there, there is some truth to that. Like be careful what you listen to. Be careful what you watch. Be, you know, don't spend time letting things in that one day you're going to have to renew your mind against. Like that's just a silly waste of time. And, 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 I, and I say that a lot because it's just the truth. Like we spend a lot of time in the, in the name of entertainment letting things in that one day we're going to have to renew our minds against because they directly oppose the word of God. You're going to experience enough of that in the world on accident just to, to, to do it on purpose. Like when you have a choice of what to do with your time, don't choose something that one day you're going to have to renew your mind against. Like choose good. Choose him. Whatsoever things are lovely, excellent, pure, true, worthy of good report, meditate on these things. Why? Because you're going to experience enough things that aren't those in life that you're going to have to think about and deal with just being in the world that when you have time to choose what you're thinking about, don't choose those things. Yeah, I, it's either really hot or you guys are really convicted or both. But 
I'm just saying, like, look, I'm, it's not being pharisaical. It's just saying that this life is our one opportunity to know him apart from heaven where, where everything will be made known. If this is the only time that we get is this life on earth to, in faith, choose him, to actually choose him every single day, then let's not waste any of those hours or any of those days choosing anything other than him when the choice is ours. You go somewhere, you walk into a business meeting or you know, your job site puts you somewhere or different things like that. You're not choosing that. There's enough of that. When you actually have the time and you're making the choice, make sure you're choosing things that line up with that filter of true, lovely, excellent, worthy of praise, good report. But that's not the whole of it. Like that, that is a part of it. But, but I think that a lot of times... It's just our system of belief or the way that we see things. Like, our heart is what determines right and wrong in so many situations. It's why Jesus could call people vipers or sons of hell. That's in your Bible. And be perfect. Yet, the people who came to Samuel could flatter him and say nice things about him and be wrong and be in sin. It was the heart behind it. It's because man's busy looking from the outside. If we're looking from the outside, we hear these people come to Samuel and say, Samuel, we know that you're a great prophet, but your sons do not walk in the way that you do. Therefore, appoint for us a king that when you're gone, we may have someone to rule over us. That sounds really good, but it's actually completely evil because they're coming to Samuel and they're using, they're using flattery to try to get him to do what they want, to give them what they want. Flattery is evil because it has agenda. Encouragement is pure love. I want nothing from you. I have no th- nothing I'm ever going to request of you for this. I just simply want to open my mouth and speak something to you that encourages you because I love you and because I believe it's true about you. Flattery is pure evil because there's always an agenda behind it, whether we realize it in the moment or not. Samuel, we know that you're a great man and that you follow after the Lord. Why are they flattering him? Because they're about to ask him to do something for them and they want to try to flatter him first. Be really careful when people come to you and start telling you all these great things about yourself and then start asking you for a favor in return. Guard your heart. Believe what they say about you, if it's true. Because then even if their intentions were evil, you can still benefit from it. You can walk away so encouraged and yet not flattered to the point that you gave in and bit and took the, hook, the bait and, and got the hook in your mouth. You can. It's just like when people criticize you. They, they may come to you in a completely wrong heart and they may be yelling and they may be angry and they may be saying things all wrong, but if what they're saying is true and you can learn from what they're saying, you can walk away the better for it and they can walk away still angry because you didn't respond in the way that they wanted you to. You can even maybe have a kind word that turns away wrath. Then you turn your, your critics into your encouragers. Because whether they realize it or not, see, if your heart, that's why you have to guard your heart. If your heart is true, if your heart is pure, if your heart is love, even if someone comes to you with a different motive, you can still receive what they're saying in a heart of love. That's why Jesus said, be careful how you hear. Because just as much as you can speak the truth in love or speak the truth without love, you can hear in love. The lens, your heart is the lens through which you hear things. 
And a lot of times, if we've had things in our lives that have taught us other things, or things in our lives that have hurt us, or burned us, or, or made us cynical, or skeptical, or have made us prideful, or any of these things, the way we hear people always comes from our, our heart. And you could say something to somebody, and because they have a cynical heart, or because they have a skeptical heart, or because they have a fence towards you, they can hear it the total wrong way, and you could have said it in pure love and meant the absolute best from it, and they took it and construed it to mean something else. Why? Because they haven't guarded their heart, and they've allowed a seed of bitterness, or a seed of skepticism, or a seed of cynicism, or offense to take root in their heart. And now when you're sitting there speaking the truth and love to them, they can't even receive it because their hearts are so hardened because they haven't guarded their heart. See, it's our responsibility to make sure that what's coming from us is coming from a place of love. But that's where our responsibility with it ends. Because Jesus said, be careful how you hear. As long as you're speaking truth and love, the way it's received has nothing to do with you. That's on them. It's why Jesus is standing in front of the very people he was sent to save, performing all these miracles, doing all these signs and wonders, fulfilling every single prophecy. And yet when he opens his mouth and speaks the truth to them, they become offended. Why? Because there was something wrong with their heart, not because there was something wrong with his mouth. So he looks at them and says, you guys are whitewashed tombs. On the outside, why? He's saying, look, outside everything looks great, but it's what's inside that matters. It's the core of a man that matters. It's your heart. And listen, you can be fully born again, have, have a new heart given to you by Jesus. That was his promise. He said, I'll place with them a new heart and I'll write my laws upon their heart. I totally understand that, totally believe that, and totally preach that. But if you don't guard that, you can allow things to take root in your heart that God never intended to be there, ever. You have to be able to because John says if you sin, you have one, an advocate before the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. If it was impossible for anything to come into our heart, once we get born again, there would be no way for us to sin because Jesus said that it's what comes out of the heart that defiles a man. In other words, everything that ever goes wrong, it starts in your heart. It starts in what you believe. It starts in your core. And that's why the word says to watch over and guard your heart. Guard it. Be careful. What's going on in my heart? Like, that's why we need to be honest with ourselves. Like, we know why we're saying what we're saying. Even if we have everybody fooled, it doesn't matter because the only person that it matters is never fooled. Ever. Because while man's busy looking at the outside, he's looking at the heart. It's why even if your words don't come out completely right, God sees your heart. That's why you don't have to worry that you're not a perfect community. Did I say everything? Stop judging if you said everything perfect and start caring more about why you said what you said. Because God can work with, with something spoken love that maybe isn't said exactly perfect a whole lot more than he can say something that was said perfectly from a heart that had no love in it and was trying to correct or trying to be right or trying to get over on somebody, trying to flatter somebody. I promise why he chose Moses. Moses says, but I stutter. You're talking to a burning bush who knows your name. You think he didn't know that you stutter before he asked you to go talk to Pharaoh? Why? Because he saw your heart, Moses. He wasn't concerned with your lips. He can work with your lips. He can teach you how to speak, but he can't teach you how to seek him and love him and want to be with him with all your heart. He can't teach you how to be obedient, Moses. You have to want that. You have to choose that. That's why he tests them first. Moses, 
Take off your shoes. What's he doing? He's saying, if I tell Moses to do something that seems completely opposite of what I'm about to tell him, will he actually do it? You're in a desert. Hot sand scorpions, your, your feet, your, your shoes are your life. If you don't protect your feet, they become, especially in those days because they couldn't wash regularly, they become infected. They, they, they can actually get to the point where they have to be cut off because of all the, the infections and everything else. Your shoes were your life. And the first thing he does is say, take off the thing that's protecting you that you count on to keep you safe, Moses. Why? Because I'm about to send you on a journey. That doesn't make any sense. The first thing we tell our kids when we're getting ready to go somewhere is put your shoes on. First thing God tells Moses when he's getting ready to send him somewhere else, somewhere is take your shoes off. Why? He doesn't care about the logistics of it. It's not the rhyme or reason. It's not the logic. It's will you be obedient to do something even if it doesn't make sense to your human mind. Over and over again, he tests people that way. So we know being honest with ourselves is a great way to guard our hearts. Because listen, if we make the way people receive something the way we determine whether or not we did what was right, said what was right, acted in the right way, we can be so deceived. That's why Paul says when we measure ourselves against others, we deceive ourselves. Why? Because if your measure for what you're doing, being good or bad or right or wrong, is based on the way others react to it and respond to it, you can get in trouble real quickly. Because you could be doing things with a completely wrong motive and justifying doing them because people are responding in a way that looks good on the outside. And the whole world would look in and say, wow, they're doing an awesome thing. And God looks in and says, I see their heart. And there's only two people that know why they're doing it. One of them's me. That's why we have to be the stewards of our own heart. Nobody can guard your heart for you. We can help each other. We can encourage each other. We can speak truth to each other. We can do all of those things. And living in a community of believers who are walking in truth and who actually have access to each other's lives and that love each other enough to say, listen, I'm going to come and talk to you even if it's something that seems uncomfortable because I love you more than I love my own comfort. Being a part of a group of people like that. Being, being in a community that says, if I need to, I'll come to you and I'll confront you over something because I love you too much to allow you to continue to live less than Jesus died on a cross for you to live. And even if it means at the expense of my own comfort, my love for you exceeds my love for my own comfort. Because I love my own life, not unto death. Greater love has no man than this, that he would lay down his own life for another. Lay down my own comfort for the sake of another receiving truth. But be very careful that our, our, our standard isn't the way it's received or the, what it causes in people. You know there are people who don't even believe in God who are preaching from pulpits and people are having their lives changed by the truth that's being spoken. They came to Paul and they said this. See, this is why we have to be real careful of motive. And we have to be careful of our own motive because Paul said don't even say anything to them. They came to him and they said, Paul, these people don't love people and care about people the way that you do. They're only doing this because they know that you're in prison and they want to cash in on your fame. They want to make a name for themselves and because you're not around, they're taking what you've preached and they're preaching it themselves to make a name for themselves. And should we tell them to stop? And Paul says, don't say anything to them. Just let them go. As long as what they're saying is true, it's okay. God will deal with them. What's he saying? Their motive is between them and God. We don't judge their motive by the fruit, but we also don't excuse bad motive because of fruit in our own lives. Why? Because sometime, at some point, when those people put their head on the pillow and were alone with their thoughts, they knew why they were doing what they were doing. 
And if they were guarding their heart and they saw that that was going on in their heart, if they saw that it was selfish ambition that was driving them rather than love for people, it's, it's sad. Paul said it a few years into the church being around. He says, I'm sending you Timothy. I have no one else like him who preaches the gospel only because of love and not self-ambition, selfish ambition. The church has only been around for a few years and he already can't find anybody that hasn't been tainted by ambition that only preaches the gospel because of love. Why? Because people aren't guarding their own hearts. And what's Paul saying to them when they come to him and say, should we tell them to stop? He says, listen, don't. You, it's not your responsibility to guard their heart. He said, God will deal with them as long as the truth's being preached. Why? Because people can still be impacted by truth and people can still be set free by truth even if the ambition and the reason and the motive of the person behind it is wrong. But the person who has the bad ambition, they'll have to deal with themselves before God. That's light and breezy, right? Here's the point though. If he asks you to guard your heart, that means you're capable of guarding it. He's never called you to do something he hasn't equipped you to. If he told the disciples, you feed them when there's 5,000 people and there's a boy's lunch, that means the ability to feed them is within their ability. As long as they trust him and do what he said. If he asked us to guard our heart, that means that we are, because of him and because of the ability that we have by his spirit living in us, fully capable of guarding our hearts. Because he's never asked you to do something that you can't do and then sat in heaven watching and saying, oh my gosh, they believe me. Look at them trying. I can't believe they thought I was serious. He's never done that. He's never looked down from heaven, looked at somebody trying to do something that he called them to do and thought, oh my goodness, they believe me. So if, if our hearts can affect the things that we say, they can also affect the things that we hear and the things that we receive, which is why it's so important for us to guard our own hearts and make sure that we walk. Listen, don't let bitterness or cynicism or any of those things have any place in your life because here's the thing. Even if you only think that the person who caused that to happen in the first place, that caused it to happen, remember, no one's ever made you angry. You chose anger. Someone's presented you an opportunity. They made me so mad. No, they didn't. They did something that presented an opportunity for you to be mad and you took the bait. They didn't make you angry. I promise you. Because if it was possible to make a human being angry, Jesus would have been sinfully angry. You've never ever sinned in your anger because someone else made you be angry. Think about it. I mean, that's an easy one for the devil. If, that, if, if, if he could do that to you, he could have done it to Jesus because he laid aside his deity, not thinking equality with God, something to be grasped. He made himself for a time lower than the angels. Who were lower than the angels for a little while? We are. So what's he saying? He made himself a man. He made himself, emptied himself of his deity, it says. He emptied himself of his godliness. He chose that. And for a time, chose to be made less than the angels. That means he's walking the earth as a man, led by the Holy Spirit, with the power of God on him. And if you can be made to be made angry by somebody else's actions, then he could have been made to be made angry by someone else's actions, and he would have sinned and would not have been the spotless lamb. He was presented the opportunity many times, I'm sure. He was tempted in every way which is common to man, yet without sin. All right. So I just want to run, go through a couple of things. 
God dealt with me so much on this stuff as I was preparing this message. I didn't have any intentions of preparing this message. I sat down over one little thought that I had in my head, and I started just looking up scriptures. The next thing you know, I'm down the rabbit trail. I'm like, man, I should probably preach this because it's really impacting me. And I try to always preach stuff that's impacted me or impacted me. I I do. I don't want to get up here with theories um, because the last thing you need is a bunch of information and a bunch of theory. So um, I'll talk about that more in a second. But the first thing that I think that that we have to really guard our heart, heart against, and this one's, I think everyone's heard this before, is offense. Because when I'm offended at someone, it's almost impossible for me to receive them hear them, or serve them well. If I'm offended at you, it is impossible for me to serve you, receive you, hear you, or love you the way that I'm supposed to. The problem with that is, like I was saying a minute ago, it is very hard to isolate that, the, my actions towards just that one person that I blame for that offense that's in my heart. It will bleed into other areas of my life. If you think that you can contain anger towards somebody, to the person that you're angry at only, and that it's not going to ever spill into other relationships in your life, you are fooling yourself. You're giving people around you less than what they deserve to get from you. They deserve to have you be fully you, full of love, set free, filled with the Spirit, walking in forgiveness, walking in love. That's what people around you deserve because that's who you were created to be. And if you think that you can contain that anger, it's, it, I promise you, it's like a little pressure cooker. It's, it's, it's in there at all times, and it's just waiting for something to hit that valve, and then it releases. And if you think you can only let the person that, that caused you to feel that pressure cooker of anger inside of you and offense inside of you, if you think they're the only one that can hit that valve and make it blow off, you're out of your mind. You have lost it. I promise you. Guard your heart against offense. If you feel like you're offended towards somebody, you know one of the best things to do is, A, pray that God would bless them. Because listen, maybe they genuinely did something to you. Maybe they genuinely were nasty to you and intentionally did something to try and hurt you. All that exposes is that they have no clue who God created them to be. So why would you let their ignorance cause you to sin? Think of the foolishness of that. If they knew who they were, it's Jesus on the cross. When he sees ignorance, he doesn't respond in anger. He doesn't even respond in a rebuke. He says, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. What's he saying? I'm not going to let what they're doing to me cause me to re- respond with the same, in the same way. They're ignorant. I'm not going to let their ignorance change what I know to be true. I'm here to love them. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Yeah, but they knew what they were doing. They grabbed his beard. No, they didn't know what they were doing because they didn't know who he really was because they had no idea who they really were. And one day they would see who he is and then they would see who they were and things would come into alignment and those same people who ripped his beard out would fall on their face and say, what must we do to be saved? What's Jesus saying? If I hate them in return right now, I lose the ability to speak into their life later. Just be careful and guard your heart against offense. If you find it, pray that God would bless them. When that person comes in, you know who I'm talking about right now because right now you're thinking about them. I promise you there's some people in this room right now that are thinking about people that they've held offense against. Am I right? Who would be brave enough to say they're thinking of somebody? Look at that. You know why? Because the Spirit of God doesn't want you to walk another day in offense and He's bringing that into your memory right now so that you can deal with it and be set free from it. 
Because he has no intention of you just attending another church service and leaving the same. He actually wants to deal with things because he wants you to be set free because he loves you more than you could understand. It's not to punish you. It's not to condemn you. It's not saying, look at you, you're a bad person. It's saying, you're settling for less than Jesus gave his life on a cross for. Stop doing that. You're letting this rob joy from your life and it's stealing from a bunch of different areas and you can't contain the areas it steals in because once a thief has access through one window, he has access to the whole house. And if you think he's only robbing that one relationship by allowing offense to be there, you are out of your mind. He is robbing everything he can get his hands on because you opened a window and let him in through that offense. So pray that God would bless them when they come into your mind. If it's possible, go talk to them. Just sit down with them. You don't even have to bring up what they did if you don't want to, if God doesn't tell you to. They may have forgot and moved on and may have no idea and it's owning you to this day and they have totally forgot about it and to you because you relive that pain and that hurt and that offense every single day it's like it happened yesterday and they don't even remember that it happened genuinely sometimes there's people who have totally forgot they did something and it's still owning us to this day or never realized they did something because they did it unintentionally seeing someone face to face And asking God before you see them, God, I want to see them the way that you do, will change that. Because you can demonize them in your mind and you can make them out to be something that they're not in your mind. You can make them out to be this villain, this bad guy. You can make them all these things. They knew what they were doing. They did it intentionally. And you make this case against them. But when you're actually sitting, looking into someone's eyes and understanding, you know what? Even if they did it intentionally, it was because they were probably hurting worse than I'm hurting right now. then you can say like Jesus, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. It's why we, it's recorded. I, I promise I know that's why it's recorded that Stephen said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. Why? Because he's echoing the heart of Jesus and all he's saying is, listen, I'm don't, Father, don't hold their sins against them. Why? Because he understands they have no clue what they're doing. They think they're putting a stop to a heresy. They believe that they're doing the work of God and they're actually silencing a mouth that was preaching truth. And so Stephen looks at them in love and says, don't hold this against them. Why? Because ignorance is not going to cause him to respond in anger. Just like it didn't with Jesus. Um, the, the, the other, one of the other things is Disappointment. Sometimes things happen or didn't happen that we expected or would or expected never would. And if we're not diligently watching over our hearts, these disappointments will cause us to adjust what we hope for, expect, or even dream for. It won't kill you. It will just lower your ability to enjoy the life that God created you to enjoy. It'll ruin a part of you. You remember when you were a kid and you had these amazing expectations and it was like every day when you woke up, you were just like, let's see how much fun we can have today. And then like life taught you that that's just not the way it is, right? And life came along and said, listen, don't get your hopes up. Don't expect so much. You know what I can't, I can't stand when I'm excited about something and somebody comes along and says, hey, listen, you need to chill a little bit. 
just wait and make sure this, make sure. I'm like, you know what that is? That's the voice of past disappointment speaking and saying, there's a chance that that's not going to happen and I don't want you to be crushed the way I was crushed. What if I'm not going to be crushed if it doesn't happen? What if I'm actually okay apart from that thing? I'm just really excited because I think that thing's going to happen. But that thing is not my ability to be okay or not. I don't need you to keep me from being crushed. Just get excited with me. And if it doesn't happen, we'll say, oh, well, next time and we'll go about our lives. But see, if our lives are ruled by circumstance and anything other than His love for us and knowing who we are in Christ, then those things will crush us. And our life will look like this. It'll be adjusted down to this valley and we'll say, this is good enough. This is my baseline down here. When I was a kid, my baseline was way up here. My expectations were so high. But life came along, and if I'm not careful, if I don't guard my heart, my heart starts to tell me it's easier to have a lower expectation and not get hurt than it is to have a high expectation and be crushed. The gospel says you can have a high expectation and not be crushed because your hope isn't in things. It's not in circumstances. It's in Jesus, and he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. I promise you, you can live that way. You can live that way. And then when people get excited, you can be excited with them rather than coming along and pouring water on their fire and saying, well, you know, I used to get excited too, but just chill out. Have you thought? Now, if it's a Nigerian banker that has large sums of money for you, maybe don't get your hopes so high. All right? When you get that email, the banker from Nigeria that came across $272 million and he wants to give it to you because he has no one else in the world to give it to and all he needs is your name and social security number and bank account number, you might want to temper your expectations there. But that's why you need discernment. Discernment, I'm telling you, discernment is going to be so necessary in the days to come. Because it says that in the days to come, the Bible says in the last days that he'll appear as an angel of light. See, there was a time where it was so easy to tell the difference because the angel of darkness came as an angel of darkness, the angel of light came as an angel of light. But in the last days, when he comes performing signs and wonders, looking like an angel of light, if you don't have discernment, how will you know? What if you're standing in Pharaoh's courtroom and you see Moses throw his staff on the ground and turns into a snake and you see sorcerers say, we can do that too, and they both throw their staffs on the ground and they turn into snakes. And you have to make a decision. You don't get to see the bigger snake eat the two smaller snakes to determine which one's God. You have to make a decision split second. How do you know if you don't have discernment which one's right? How do you know who's really actually a servant of God? Discernment. Now, if you've ever fallen for one of those emails, you have no discernment. That's not like a bad thing. Just get on your knees and pray and ask God for it. I promise you. If you're currently talking to someone overseas and you're contemplating it, find me after the, after the service and our prayer team will lay hands on you and pray for you. No, but, but what if it's okay to actually live with high expectations? To just believe that I'm going to see God's goodness. To just believe that if it can go right, it's going to go right. And then if it doesn't go right, there must have been a reason and I'm going to wait to see what that was and expect that it was good rather than be crushed by it. What if I could actually thank Him in every circumstance What if I could really thank Him in every circumstance where when something didn't happen that I wanted or expected to happen, I could thank Him for something in that time. Even if, listen, we'll take the most most controversial thing, right? You prayed for something to happen and it didn't happen like the Bible said that it would. 
even in that moment when you experience a frustration or you experience a uh, tension of why it didn't happen, you can find a reason to thank him because you can get on your knees and say, God, I thank you that I actually feel this way. It's proof that I believe your word is true. God, if I didn't believe your word was true, I would just be fine. I would say, well, I guess that's just not what it meant. I guess that's just not what God said. I guess that just wasn't his will. But I actually believe your word to the point that when I don't see circumstances line up with your word, it causes a frustration in me. Thank you, God, for that faith that you've put inside of me. Thank you for the belief that's growing inside of me. And thank you, God, that one day I'll see exactly what you said and that I'm not settling here and adjusting my theology to my experience. You can thank him even in that then you're not crushed. Then you're not hopeless. Then you're not looking at the next person saying, I wouldn't get your hopes up on that. I used to believe that too. Then you can actually join right in with them and say, yeah, let's believe it. Let's go for it together. I can celebrate with you and rejoice with you. Why? Because I believe and I expect great things too and I haven't let the things that haven't happened change what God's word says and I haven't let them temper my belief for great things to happen in the future. Why? Because I am perfectly okay with the solid basic thing that I am born again, a son of God, that my past has been washed away, that I'll spend eternity from this day forward forever with him and that I am known by him and I know him as he can be known. I am, that is that right there, if he did nothing more and I had nothing more than that to look forward to, life is still amazing. And then I have all these other things on top of that. And what happens? If I don't experience something that I thought was going to, I'm not crushed because my baseline is way up here because the goodness of God is, is something that is constantly in my mind of how good he is, how thankful I am for him. I came across a clipping the other day. I was cleaning out my... Um, I have a cabinet at our house that whenever Patty gives me something, I don't know where I should put it, I just slyly stick it up on top of that cabinet because she's so short she can't see up there. It's truth. When you're 4'11", there's things you can't see. And so I have this, I have this kitchen cabinet in the, in, I have this cabinet in the kitchen and I, there's, there, is no, there is Beanie Babies, there's titles to vehicles, there is all kinds of stuff up there. But I, yeah, we, we redid our kitchen, and she said, "Hun, she was up on top of the uh, stool, and she said, it's time. <laughs> and so I got up there to clean it off, and I'm going through, and I was pulling stuff off, and I came across this newspaper clipping that my mom had saved of the day that my childhood best friend was convicted of, of murder. And I thought back to where I was in life when that happened. And I found myself sitting on a couch in my basement, weeping and thanking him for his goodness. Because it was like I was remembering a movie that I once saw that starred somebody else. And I couldn't even imagine that being me. That's how much he's changed my life. When I think about the person that I was, it's as if I'm remembering a movie. I promise you, there are movies that I've watched that I think are more real than that, that memory. It's like I'm looking back at a movie that I watched one time and it wasn't even a very good movie. And the guy that played me died and there's no chance of that movie ever being shot and filmed again. I'm okay. I'm actually better than just okay. I'm good because of all that he's done for me. You, can't, you cannot bring me down. The only thing that can is me by allowing disappointment 
to make my heart sick, by allowing offense to make my heart bitter, by lowering what I expect in life and saying, I would rather live down here and never be disappointed again than dare to step up here and fall off and have to live back down there again. What if you found a place where he brought you up to the top and he said, I'm holding you in my hand and you're actually seated with me in heavenly places at the right hand of the Father? Your Bible says that. What if the only thing that can make you feel low is your heart and your own feelings, but it doesn't change the truth about where you really are seated? And what if all that can do is determine the way that we live our life here on earth because it can't affect what's real about us and what's true? And the only person that can guard your heart from that is you. The only person. Your friends can help you. Your community of believers that are around you can help you. Your parents, every, you know, they can help you. But at the end of the day, you have to steward your own heart and guard your own heart. You do. And then the last thing that I had on here is pride. And when we think of pride, we think of, you know, automatically thinking higher of ourselves than we should, which is obviously pride. And that obviously is a problem. Because if you think higher of yourself than you should, you'll automatically think lower of others than you should. It's just the truth. An elevated view of yourself, apart from God. Now, I'm not talking about who we are in Christ. Like, that's too great for us to even exaggerate. You cannot exaggerate who you are in Christ if you tried. The problem is, is if you lose sight of the fact that it's because you're in Christ and you start thinking that it's because of you and you start thinking more highly of yourself than you ought to. And I, to just to be honest, I feel like that is a temptation or something that has to be watched out for and guarded against, especially by everyone, but especially by people who God gifts for gifts that are leadership or what we would call like platform ministry, ministry gifts. Because you see God do things through you and the temptation is always to think, look what I've done. And to forget that it wasn't you that did it, it was Him in you. You played a part by being obedient, but you could be as obedient as you want if God doesn't breathe on it nothing happens. You can come up with the greatest message in the world. If there's no breath and no anointing on it, it doesn't change one person's life. And if you get stuck in pride and it starts to get into your heart without realizing it, you'll start to become suspicious and you'll start to become very cynical towards other people. And you'll start to think you're the only person who actually sees truth and everybody around you doesn't. And once you do that, you'll start to judge everyone's motives. And it says, man looks at the, heart, at the outside, God looks at the heart. What's that saying? You're not capable of seeing someone's heart apart from him showing you. But yet you start to make decisions as if you do. The other way pride gets in there is by having a lower opinion of yourself than what his opinion of you is. That seems so meek and humble, but what you're actually doing is you're saying, I exalt what I believe about myself over what he says about me. And that's the worst form of pride that there is because you're exalting your own knowledge against the knowledge of God. And you're saying, I know God said that, but he didn't. As if when God spoke that over you, as if when God said that he is able to present you holy, righteous, upright, and without reproach before the Father, that he meant he is able to present you holy, blameless, upright, and beyond reproach before the Father, except for Roy, because he did fill in the blank. 
because of Matt, because he did this, because of Carl, because he did this. Except for Jeff, because, you know, he did that. Except for Candace, because, woo, she did that. And now you've settled for a lower opinion of yourself, and it sounds really humble when you talk about yourself, but the problem is it's not humility at all. It's the worst form of pride because now you're saying what I believe about myself is more true than what he believes about me. Oh man, it's, it's just, it's just, it's horrible. Because nobody can make you believe but you. Nobody around you. People around you can compliment you over and over and over again. Can call the gold out in you. Can speak over your life and tell you truth. But if you don't actually believe it, if you haven't guarded your heart and you've allowed that to take root in your heart, and when they can say all these things about you and you will walk away saying, but if they knew, they wouldn't say. And you'll disqualify everything they're saying because you feel like what you know is greater than what God knows about you. That's pride. That's horrible pride. And you have to steward your heart against that and guard your heart against that. Because what if that person, they don't know every detail, but what if, God told them to tell you that. So now what you're saying is, is God didn't know this. If God knew, he wouldn't have said that. Have you ever had someone come up to you and just give you encouragement out of the blue? You know, most of the time that's the Holy Spirit inspiring that stuff. Someone just, me and my wife had a conversation last night. We had a long, deep conversation about something. And the very person that was part of the conversation we were talking about, when I got out of the sound and I picked up my phone, had sent me just a random text. They haven't texted me in, I think it had been three weeks. They said, I love you, bro. That person. Do you think that like, maybe, just maybe, the Holy Spirit knew the conversation we were having and moved on his heart to cause him to send that text at that moment because he's confirming what me and Patty were talking about. Don't discount what people say to you when they encourage you. Don't. Don't say, yeah, but if they knew. What if God knows and still told them to tell you that? And see, the problem with that is the only person that can guard your heart against that is you. Because you're the only one that knows that you're thinking those things, you and God, when you walk away from the conversation. You won't even allow him to encourage you because you exalt what you know about yourself over what he says about you. Guard your heart. I was supposed to teach on the three times that people tempted Jesus and his response and how it was different because it goes along with this, but um, I guess we'll do that next week. And we'll talk about how do we guard our heart. What does that practically look like? What are ways that we can actually guard our hearts and and encourage others to guard theirs? So we'll just close up with this. Um, I'm going to have our prayer team come up. We haven't done this in a while, but I want our prayer team to come forward. And if while I was talking today, you recognized, yeah, you know what? There is some offense in my heart. And it's actually caused me and changed my heart and changed the way that I look at people or I look at life or my expectations. Or if you would say disappointment, if you would say, you know what? I've had disappointment in my life. I've been disappointed and let down. And because of that, I've adjusted my expectations because I'm terrified of ever being disappointed again. And it's easier for me to expect nothing and receive nothing than to expect something and ever be disappointed again. If you've ever allowed that into your heart, and you would say, like, my expectation of life is far more shaped by the disappointments I've been through than by what God's promised. Or pride. Like while I'm talking, if you've recognized some of that in you where you've had 
too high an opinion, too low of opinion, where your opinion has mattered more to you than what God says about you, one way or the other, from one extreme to the other extreme. And it's changed your heart towards people. And you want to just be done with that. Like, come, There's nothing magical up here. It's just humbling ourselves and coming before Him and taking a step and saying, I don't want to live this way anymore. I, I recognized something going on in my life last night as I was going through this message. I recognized that because of something that had been done, I said I wouldn't let that happen again. And it was pride because what I was saying was, is my ability to make that never happen again is greater than God's ability to keep it from happening again. And I was trusting myself. And what I thought was trusting me was actually putting space between me and people because I was keeping people away so that that ever happened again. It can sneak in just that easy. It can seem so wise in our own minds. It can make so much sense. And it can rob so much joy. So if that's you and you want to just get rid of that and be done with it and deal with it, we would love to pray with you. There's something powerful, when it talks about confessing one to another, there's something powerful about actually opening your mouth and naming what's going on. I was talking to my wife last night, and when we got done talking, I said, you know what? Like, she didn't say anything profound to me, really. She just listened to me. I mean, she said a few things that were really wise, but most of what she did was just listen. And when I got done at the end of it, I was like, I feel so much better just even naming and saying that and, and admitting that that was going on and having it out there in the light. And, and, and seeing that and being done with it and committing that I'm not going to allow that. There's something powerful about that, about actually speaking and saying, this has been going on and I never want it to go on again. And just being honest, being vulnerable. So God, I just thank you right now that if there's anyone in here who's dealing with any of those things, whose heart has, has been poisoned, been sick, and been ensnared in any of these things, God, and any of these attacks and, and schemes of the enemy have made their way through and found a place in our heart, God, that, that we would be done with it, that we would see it. Right now, Holy Spirit, I pray that you are moving on people and showing them areas where they've allowed the, themselves to settle for less than what you have because of these things. And I just ask that we would have the courage today to deal with it, to be done with it, and to expose it, name it, and that its power ends its control ends, its place in our life ends today. In Jesus' name, amen.